Hey there, Quack 12 fans. So this is your boy, Adam Jamal. Just having a quick word with my quackies here before we get into the actual episode with Hode Rubino, the great Hode Rubino and Hithliday. Um, that is because since we've recorded this episode, some shifts have happened for the Sun Devils that have made their roster definitely the worst. That is five transfers, five transfers of five potential starters that we cover in this episode that were on the team when we when we started the ep, but uh, not so much now. That would be like uh, LV Bunkley Shelton. He's a redshirt sophomore wide receiver. Spencer Lowville, uh, redshirt senior offensive lineman. Jermaine Lole, that is a huge one, especially with the loss also of Omar Norman Lott. Omar Norman Lott was his uh, backup, no, he was the backup nose tackle. Uh, he was a sophomore. He's transferred, as has Lole. Uh, he's at least entered his name in the portal. As of now, it's May 1st. There's still time. Uh, he says there's a potential of coming back if ASU gets their NIL in order, but there's very short time to really do that. Um, and he's a redshirt senior. He's crucial to this team. You'll hear us talk about him a lot. It would be a huge bummer for Sun Devil fans if he doesn't come back. And then also Ezra Dotson Oyatade, a redshirt freshman. He's on the offensive line, and they need all the help they can get there. But it's not all bad news. Vanderbilt wide receiver Cam Johnson and Florida quarterback Emery Jones have both transferred into the program, so there's a couple for her. Uh, so now let's hop into maybe a an overly optimistic now look, uh, even though we were pretty pessimistic in general. Oh well, uh, let's get into the episode. Go Ducks, I guess go Sun Devils. The, they need help. All right. Welcome back, Quack Troll fans. We got another special episode for you. In fact, this one is an especially special episode because not only are we doing our classic roster reviews with our dear friend Hithliday from Addicted to Quack. How you doing, Hithliday? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Learning about these rosters after you know uh, these these glorified practices, but after these spring games, uh, diving back into the Pac-12. I don't know. I, I'm starting to enjoy the off season more and more, especially since we've been doing these uh, projects over the years. And one reason why I'm enjoying them so much is because we get people who really know their stuff, who really know their teams, and I don't know be, who have become close friends to the Quack Twelve podcast. Uh, of course, I'm talking about today's guest, Hode Rubino of the Devils Digest. You can follow him at Devils Digest on Twitter. How you doing, Hode? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, once again, uh, man, we're we're stoked to talk to you, Sun Devils. I've I've long said probably my second favorite not living mascot in the Pac-12. <laughs> I love that it's just you know a, a Satan or a devil or a demon or whatever he is. I, I I've always really liked that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I mean, I, I think uh, it's kind of nice to have like an old school mascot that can you know do cartwheels and flips and all that because um, a, a lot of the mascots you know know. No disrespect to the ducks, you know, but uh, there's not a whole lot going on there besides uh, riding on a motorcycle, you know, right before a kickoff, which is cool. 
but uh, <laughs> I mean, unless the Houston Cougar shows up, and then it's going to be a smackdown. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, we got to separate them nowadays. <laughs> Um, but so we're coming off of uh, an up and down season, I would say, uh, if you're if we're just looking at the football and not so much the, uh, you know, whatever's going on behind the curtain right now. Yeah. Uh, we're coming off an eight and five season. Um, we had some highs. We had some lows. Uh, I mean, we you got to the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl. That is certainly a high. Uh, lost a close game to Wisconsin, thirteen to twenty. That was actually. That, top... I, actually I, I don't mean to intervene, but actually, it, it was the Las Vegas Bowl, not the LA Bowl. Oh, thank you, Las Vegas Bowl. Absolutely, yeah, Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I just had Jimmy Kimmel on. The <clears throat> well, Jimmy Kimmel is from Las Vegas, so I could see why I got mixed up. <laughs> there was <laughs> yeah, some I'm other Pac-12 sure team that made the the Jimmy Kimmel Bowl, and yeah, was it? Uh, oh, it? that's the Beavs, right? Or, or yeah. yeah. That's that is right. That is right. But we're not talking about them. No, 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 no. We're talking about the Sun Devils. Um, so they barely, well, they lost to Wisconsin, two top 20 defenses. Uh, not a whole lot of offense going on that one. No team went over 300 yards, that's for sure. Uh, but we started off against Southern Utah, a team which uh, Ducks hung 70 on so long ago. Just wanted to say that. But 41 to 14, that's what you want to see. Uh, nothing really to talk about besides ASU started in the top 25. They got six rushing touchdowns in that game, and they followed it up with uh, another dominant win over UNLV. Jaden Daniels got a new career high, 125 rushing yards. And then, well, against future ASU offensive coordinator, Glenn Thomas. That is right. That is right. And then, um, well, you did what any Pac-12 team did. Uh, you lost to BYU, unfortunately. <laughs> 17 to 27. Four turnovers. That pops up quite a bit. Uh, four turnovers doomed you in this one. But then against the Colorado Buffaloes, I mean, a Ricky Purcell uh, touchdown off the flea flicker is really kind of kind of the highlight of it in what was a, a beatdown of the Buffaloes. And then at UCLA, this, this felt like the biggest game in the world at the time. Uh, got a second half shutout of the Bruins, and there was five 40 yard plus plays from the ASU offense. Uh, it was a win over number 20 UCLA, it was a big freaking deal. You followed up with a win over Stanford, <laughs> Stanford, who well, they beat one good team, uh, but otherwise, not so good. But uh, 28 to 10 win over them. Um, Jack Jones gets a pick in that one. This is this was the play that really comes to mind in my head. Jack Jones gets the pick, and before he's brought down, he passes it off to Pierce, I do believe, who finishes off the pick six. You gotta love that. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, Utah, and, and we get it, we get another good Jack Jones interception or two in there, but uh. You lost to Utah. No shame in that, especially no shame in losing to them twice in the season. Um, you lost 21 to 35, 28 unanswered second half points. But this was, and this was the first conference loss of the season for ASU. So still everything's ahead of them. Then you lost to Washington State University. Uh, there that was, was like the weirdest game. That oh, was yeah. a weird one. Uh, three ASU turnovers. You trailed by 28 to seven at the half. Then you rallied back two interceptions though. Uh, I mean, overall it wasn't a, a great Jane Daniels showing, but showed some fight at the end randomly. And then against USC, I mean, even though this is, you know, a rudderless USC at this point, 
still. Uh, th- this was the season where it's like everyone got their beat down to the Trojans. It was wonderful. <laughs> 31 to 16, Rashad Wright, dear Lord, 202 rushing yards, three touchdowns. And then he did basically the same thing uh, against UW. He erased a 10 point deficit in the fourth quarter, 237 all purpose yards from him, two touchdowns. You win that to make sure UW's uh, terrible season continues. Then a loss to the Beavers. That never feels good. Uh, you were a whole lot of injuries from the ASU at that point. Uh, mm-hmm. You were missing five starters and such. 266. Uh, yeah, so a tough, tough show in there. We end it. We end the regular season anyways with a win in the Territorial t- Cup. Blah, blah, blah. With a win in the Territorial Cup. Jack Jones gets an 87 yard pick six to really just put the cherry on top of it all. Uh, what are your thoughts on this season here, Hode? Well, look, I mean, uh, I picked uh, ASU not only to win the South, but also win the Pac-12 uh, in the preseason. And yes, I expected that prediction even after the NCAA investigation began uh, somewhere back in uh, late May of last year, which seems like a million years ago. But uh, there's no doubt that the talent level from top to bottom uh, on this uh, 2021 Sun Devil squad is a talent level that I think we're not going to see for a long time in Tempe. The fact that it had uh, the most uh, players from any Pac-12 team in the combine, I believe the number was eight, uh, does tell you a lot about the level of the the caliber of uh, players uh, that did uh, don the maroon and gold in 2021. So it was was absolutely uh, disappointing that uh, ASU was only able to have a very pedestrian eight and five record. I mean, sure, it's a mark that a lot of uh, other teams – including uh, Arizona, the in-state rival, would love to switch places with you. But uh, 2021, I think, with a lot of uh, super seniors just being that season that everything was supposed to come to a head in, in, in a good manner to really make it a memorable season, uh, just so it never came to fruition. And I know there'll be an ongoing debate, not only now, but for years to come, what would happen if the incident investigation did not take place. I'm not going to minimize that specific aspect in the grand scheme of things. But uh, there's no doubt that it was a very, very underachieving ASU team, uh, one that uh, penalties and turnovers really on both sides of the ball. Uh, and I say, it's just a l- lack of turnovers, obviously, on defense. Uh, that was really the, the Achilles heel and the, and the consistent Achilles heel uh, for ASU all season long. So that's how you end up uh, with eight wins in a season where I think they easily should have had uh, 10 uh, wins, maybe even 11. Hoda, I wanted to ask you, I, you know, because Oregon and ASU didn't play, I never really did a, a complete workup of ASU, um, unfortunately, last year. I, I did wind up watching them in a number of games simply because they were playing a team that was about to play Oregon. And I was getting ready for that team. The one, and like most of them made sense to me what I was seeing, the one that didn't make any sense, and I, I wanted your, your take on, was that Oregon State game, the second to last week of the regular season. Um, Adam noted, you know, there were some injuries in that game but there was also a lot of other weird stuff you know like it, it seemed like the offensive line was super scatterbrained like they were constantly committing false starts and I thought that I was seeing you know I hate to go to psychological terms I, I feel like it's way overused in the media and I usually t- totally try to avoid it but I thought I was seeing a team that had sort of packed it in for the year like they knew they weren't going to win the division because of where Utah was sitting and I didn't think I was seeing a team that was really playing um 
as hard as they could. Uh, and, you know, and a lot of Oregon fans were worried about Oregon State, you know, because they had to play them the next week. And they were, you know, they just fired their defensive coordinator and replaced him. And they were like, oh, man, Oregon State's defense is really, you know, lighting them up. And I was like, uh, I don't really think Oregon State's defense is any better. I think that ASU has packed it in. Um, do you agree with that take? Like, what, what do you think? Well, the only reason I, I would maybe disagree with that take is uh, because if we look at the game uh, the week before that was uh, at Washington, it was a comeback win uh, for Arizona State. Uh, played uh, really, really well in the second half. Uh, not the greatest weather, as you can imagine, up in the uh, northwest in the, in the mid, mid-November. And I, I think maybe just the, the timing of all this, uh, it really was a cruel uh, twist in the schedule that ASU had to play two night games in two consecutive weeks on the road in the Northwest. Uh, That's something that if you look at the history of the Pac-12, doesn't happen often at all. And I had my doubts even before the season started that ASU would be able to win both at Washington and at Oregon State, regardless of what uh, level of talent uh, the the Huskies and the Beavers would have at at that point of the season. But, um, yeah, I just, I just feel that uh, it's a team that sometimes did show resiliency. But uh, you mentioned the game against Washington State was just a few weeks before that. Uh, it's also a team that when it dig- digs itself a hole, doesn't always know uh, how, how, how to really exit that hole. And um, I think just more than anything, a, a team that uh, has did much better against the pass than against the run. I think when you just look at the – not so much the raw numbers, but just at the – ebbs and flows of each and every game. Uh, it was, you know, pretty pretty evident from ASU's perspective that they don't have to worry about the Beavers' uh, passing game. The fact that uh, Chase Nolan passed only for 90 yards uh, speaks uh, volumes in that regard. But all they have to do is stop the run. I'm sure I know it's easier said than done, and B.J. Baylor is uh, unbelievable uh, running back. But uh, ultimately, uh, that, that's a team that uh, maybe for the first time uh, in the season, was really uh, missing uh, those those key players on, on the defensive line, like uh, Jermaine Lole, like like Travis Moore, and ba- basically, if you if you can't stop Oregon State um, on the ground, uh, then that's then they can basically uh, play the long game, no 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 pun intended, and just have absolutely uh, control from start to finish, and that frustrated the you know what uh, out of ASU that night. And, uh, and, and, and the rest is history. But so, I mean, just because they had the comeback win the week before at Washington, I don't know if it was really uh, pack, packing in the season or something like that. But I just felt like Washington State game at home that um, they dug themselves such a hole in the first half that it was really impossible for them to, to climb out in the second. Again, they did it a week, a week before in Seattle, but this could not do it uh, two weeks in a row. Uh, when they played in Corvallis. Do you think this, I promise the last like psychological <laughs> kind of question that I'm going to ask you, cause I really would just prefer to get to the nitty gritty, but um, I, you know, it, it's difficult to ignore sort of the cloud around the program. Um, and uh, it's also difficult to ignore that there's been, you know, a lot of notable transfers out of the program. Do you, you know, what do you think the state of the team is, you know, going into 2022? Like, do, do you think that there's, you know, optimism or pessimism or, you know, is the team still want to play for Herm Edwards? What do you think? I'm not saying the team doesn't want to play for Herm Edwards, but I just think you have 
unavoidable significant question marks on offense. I'm not really too worried about the defense. Uh, yeah, it did suck uh, for ASU to lose uh, such a talented linebacker in Eric Gentry, who, went, who entered the transfer portal uh, last, last week. Uh, he was a cons- uh, all-freshman American last season, uh, somebody who uh, played in a reserve, well, reserve role and played very, very well at that and was going to be a starter this year. But uh, when you look at uh, Arizona State's front seven, uh, with, the, with the players uh, coming back and maybe some infusion of talent uh, here and there. Uh, it's definitely one of the best front sevens in, in, in the entire Pac-12. I feel very confident uh, saying that. They do have some questions to answer in the secondary. After all, they did lose all four starters from last year. But in spring practice, I think we saw <clears throat> some flashes, mostly from newcomers, that they might be able to overcome that. And I know they're adding some uh, cornerbacks that are going to arrive here in time for full camp. So I think on defense, they'll be fine. Offense is a whole different story. I mean, obviously you start with uh, the loss of uh, starter Jaden Daniels and granted, yes, uh, he did not play well in 2020 and in 2021. And I think people that <clears throat> want to feel good about ASU's offense are, are going to be quick to point that out. But the question is uh, who, who's going to really step into those uh, QB one shoes and what kind of level of play they, they can actually display ultimately. And that uh, seems to be a huge question mark even at the end of spring practice. I didn't expect to see a starter being named, but I expected to get uh, feedback, not only from the segments that I see, but the segments that I don't see in practice to give you some kind of assurance that quarterback will be okay at the end of the day. May not look that great now, but may look better. The fact that Herm Edwards on the first day of spring practice said, I don't know if the starting quarterback is uh, in, on campus right now. And the fact that just a week after uh, spring practice ended, they hosted uh, one of the most coveted uh, quarterbacks in the transfer portal out there, Emory Jones, who was a starter at uh, Florida last year, uh, I think tells you a lot about how Arizona State uh, feels about the quarterback situation. Uh, you mentioned their offensive coordinator, Glenn Thomas. Uh, yes, he was at UNLV uh, the, la- uh, the last couple of years, obviously faced ASU last season, as you mentioned. But before that, he actually was offensive coordinator for Baylor and the mm-hmm. starting quarterback for Baylor just entered the transfer portal today on, on April 27th. So now you wonder if ASU pursues uh, that um, avenue uh, with uh, Emory Jones, who visited Tempe last weekend, still not deciding one way or another, if he does want to become a Sun Devil. So really, if that quarterback situation is solved and solved in a comforting manner, so to speak, whether it's getting somebody from the portal, whether it's an existing uh, quarterback on the roster right now, that's really going to dictate how you feel about the rest, the rest of the offense. Uh, you know, I, met, I mentioned losing Eric Gentry, the linebacker. They also lost their best uh, wide receiver, Ricky, Ricky Paracel, on, on the same day ironically or not. So uh, there's definitely some questions of wide receiver. They definitely have to make some moves in the portal uh, when, when it does come uh, to that. And then uh, losing our chart wide, who I think was the best running back in the Pac-12 uh, last season. Uh, really, really, really big shoes to fill. They have some, you know, pretty, pretty good running backs on the roster. And maybe the running back by committee is going to serve them well versus having a guy like Rashad White, who was an absolute workhorse. There was a, a series of two games where he had 60 carries total, uh, even though he still put up 
pretty impressive numbers in those contests and really for the entire season as a whole, that's not really a healthy situation to be in. So, you know, running game definitely has its, has its question marks too. So um, it, it's really, really hard to get a grasp of if you should be absolutely pessimistic about this team or are there maybe some areas you can work with where you can have a somewhat respectable season. Let's put it this way. This is not breaking news, but there's no way ASU is contending for the South Division in 2022. I think even the most optimistic ASU fan out there can, can realize that. You know, can they sneak in and, and be third after USC and Utah or Utah and USC? I think maybe if the ball bounces their way here and there, it could happen. Uh, again, I just really go back to their defense, which is going to be a clear strength of the team. I think I think from top to bottom, it's going to be one, one of the best units out there. Uh, can they just have that uh, formula of just having a, such a stout defense, having a pretty good running game to compensate uh, for what, at least for the time being, seems uh, huge, huge question marks when it comes to their passing game. Well, I want to dive into to all of that because you're right. There are a lot of very interesting personnel questions for Arizona State um, uh, for this offseason to to get resolved. Um, and I, I think you're probably right, having watched the spring game. You know, I, or I think that Herm Edwards is probably right, having watched the spring game. That the the starting quarterback's probably not on campus yet. Um, but before we get to the players, I, I want to talk about um, the coaching staff uh, changeover because there's been quite a few. Um, uh, just restricting ourselves to the offense, you know, as we mentioned, Zach Hill uh, resigned um, and Glenn Thomas, who had been at UNLV prior to that Baylor, prior to that Temple, um, he he was with Matt Rule for that whole time. Um, yeah. And then it was in the NFL for a long time before that. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Uh, I'll be honest. I have a hard time pinning down what exactly Glenn Thomas's like offensive philosophy and scheme is. Um, and, and the spring game for Arizona state didn't give me, it was, I'll be honest with you. I had a really hard time figuring out what Arizona state was trying to do on offense. Um, could you give me, uh, some clues? Like what, what's the scheme that Glenn Connors wants to run on offense? Well, look, uh, I'm not, not here to sugarcoat the shortcomings of this ASU offense, but, I don't know if other teams in the Pac-12 that had those spring games televised like ASU actually did show more than your vanilla concepts. But, that, but, but that's what ASU did during, during, during their spring game. And sure, I understand it doesn't help the overall narrative about having so much apprehension about this ASU offense. But uh, I don't think as it is, it's going to be a lot of bells and whistles um, offense just because of the personnel. I mean, I'm not saying like, Glenn Thomas isn't one that wants that doesn't want to open the playbook uh, right open wide open to be creative. But right now, when he got massive question marks at QB one, massive question marks at the wide receiver group as a whole, uh, even if everything else on offense, running back, tight ends, and offensive line are good or maybe even slightly better than good, uh, I just think that those two aspects I just mentioned really just handicap uh, handcuff you by default. Uh, of not just being a shock and awe offense. And, and really, I don't, I don't think that ASU's offense, even last year, was shock and awe, even when he had Jimmy Daniels, even when he had some, some, uh, some uh, talented wide receivers are no, no longer on the team. But uh, I definitely feel it's going to be very, very similar, I think, to the uh, Stanford offenses um, earlier in David Shaw's uh, tenure and, and under uh, Jim Hopper's uh, tenure, which I know uh, seems you know, like, like a million years ago. 
But uh, you're going to see a lot, a, a lot of two tight end sets. You're going to see a lot of uh, huddling. You see a lot, a, a lot of under center, and it's really just going to, to use a basketball term, just kind of take the take, take the air out of the ball because it's not an offense that has a lot of great skill players at, at at its disposal. So if they can just grind you, not only on the ground, but just uh, really utilizing some very talented tight ends who uh, I think uh, could surprise some in the Pac-12 uh, this year uh, to, to be really more of a focal point in the passing game than the actual wide receivers, then that's really, I think, the formula that, that, that ASU really, really has to rely on. Uh, even if they do get a quarterback from the transfer portal that ends up being the starter, I just can't see a huge uh, change in philosophy. And I think that quarterback, no different than uh, Jaden Daniels in the last two years, is really going to be expected to, to run and run a lot. I feel as well, but uh, it's really going to be a defense that just try to just uh, grind you, grind you, grind you, maybe surprise you with a play action pass um, over, over the top. Uh, but uh, that's, that's basically the, the type of offense that I'm expecting from ASU. It doesn't, in my eyes, spell a recipe for disaster because, you know, ultimately, and I'm not trying to use a cliche over here, if you can move the chains consistently, and have that and, and have that ball, you know, break the plane. That's the that's the object of the of the offense. How you do it, I don't think any. I think people could care less um, on the means. They just they just really expect just the the result and just the you know no brainer objective to be there. So sure, I think that's the offense we're, we're going to see from ASU, which maybe not be really a whole lot different than last year, but I think is going to be uh, even more just a slow grinding type of scheme well it, it makes sense i mean I, to be honest I, I was fairly familiar with zach hill's uh, offense at boise state and i thought it was a puzzling hire um when they you know i, I didn't really understand why Herm, given that his best tool was Jaden daniels I, I didn't think that he was very good fit for zach hill's type of offense and you know i it's and I think you're right. Um, you know, the, the way that Zach Hill wanted to run his offense sounds like the way that Glenn Thomas wants to run his offense. So I think you're right. There's probably not going to be a lot of changes there. I probably would have worried about Jane Daniels continuing not to fit in with that offense very well. But Jane Daniels isn't on campus anymore. He's at LSU. Um, there is, of course, uh, you know, the 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 quarterback in a situation to resolve. Um but I, I just wanted to confirm one other thing on the coaches before we get off of that. Prentice Gill and Adam, Adam Brenham and the wide receivers and tight ends coaches. Um, I, I, I wasn't quite certain about what their situation was, whether or not they resigned or they're suspended or what. I, I see on the official roster they've been replaced by Bobby Wade and Justin Wood, uh, respectively, who I think were um, analysts who were promoted. Uh, do I have that right? Well, Yes, somewhat. I'll, I'll, I'll just, um, just really just start the timeline from the beginning. So basically, uh, about, a, a, about a couple months after the vacation started, um, Adam Brennan was placed on uh, admin leave, so this was July of uh, last year, merely just a few days into uh, fall camp, uh, both uh, Prentice Gill and uh, Chris Hawkins, who's the uh, defensive backs coach, or was the defensive backs coach, also placed on admin leave as well. Uh, legally, um, they did not part ways with all those three coaches until uh, January of this year. Uh, they basically gave each coach the option to either resign or, or officially be fired. 
And uh, Adam Brenneman, I believe, was the only coach out of the three that actually resigned. Uh, both Prince, Prince Gill and Chris Hawkins uh, did um, choose to be fired, if, if that makes sense, just from a, sure. a, a HR standpoint. Uh, Prince Gill did uh, state, maybe not publicly, but the people around him, that uh, he was uh, going to uh, sue the school for a wrongful termination. Haven't heard any news on that front uh, since then. So I don't know if that ultimately is okay. going to result in a, in a lawsuit or not. I, but, I just uh, wanted to make sure that, like, that I understood that they are sure. officially separated yes. from the program. And it's not like it's going to be the case that in the middle of the year, oh, they're cleared and that oh, now no. they get their jobs back. No, they're they're official. Okay. No, yeah. Yeah. Not, not, not to delve too much into it, but basically the case was with those three coaches I mentioned that last summer, the evidence that was initially presented to the NCAA was so overwhelming that ASU felt that A, they, don't, they didn't want to delay the inevitable and B, try to score some brownie points, you know, in 2021 uh, that are hopefully going to help the program with the notice of allegations that we presented maybe late 2022 or maybe even 2023 at this point. So uh, that, that was really the reasoning behind that. I just want to touch on um, just on the Zach Hill and uh, Jaden Daniels uh, relationship or lack thereof. I think it really hit the nail on the head that uh, Zach Hill's uh, scheme was never one that Jaden Daniels felt comfortable with. But as I said a million times when I discussed this topic, it does take two to tango. And I also felt that Jaden Daniels, as a veteran quarterback, definitely did not have the appropriate uh, development uh, in his game, if you will, that you would expect him, uh, expect him to see. So those guys really mixed like, like water and oil. And uh, it was just ironic that uh, when Jaden Daniels uh, told Herm Edwards back in December of last year that he's staying at ASU, obviously had no idea that Zach Hill was going to have to resign because of the NCAA investigation. So on the surface, he was willing, willing to give it a try. But let's not forget, and I'm not going to be surprised if maybe Jaden Daniels, when he decided to stay at ASU, also knew that Auburn was heavily courting uh, Zach Hill. Auburn uh, did ultimately back away from Zach Hill uh, because he suspected and maybe even had inside knowledge that the NCAA investigation evidence against him is a matter mm. of when, not if. He's going to have to part ways with ASU just because of that of off-field mammoth matter. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jenny Nazla leaving ASU even after Zach Hill left, maybe maybe somewhat of a surprise uh, to, you know, and I, and I know there's the, always the NIL aspect, I think, with a lot of players, not all, but a lot of players that do, that do transfer out. Maybe he, him and Glenn Thomas also didn't mix. Yeah. But, uh, you know, not to go off on a tangent over here, uh, Jaden Daniels was able to arrive in Baton Rouge in time for spring practice. But from all the reports that I read, uh, definitely has not made a big impact uh, since his arrival. And uh, it, it, him contending for QB1, I think, is uh, still very much up in the air. Now, obviously, August, fall well, camp, things can change. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it was really – the wisest decision um, for Jaden Daniels uh, to leave. Yeah, I know. I LSU and Brian Kelly didn't seem like a really great fit for, you know, yeah. uh, you know, either. I mean, I, I, I'm not here to pat myself on the back, but I mean, I, I called this back in 2020 that I didn't think that the way that Jaden Daniels played football and the way that Zach Hill wanted to coordinate yeah. an offense made a lot of sense. Um, uh, right. And, and so it's like, like going to LSU didn't make you know, a ton of sense to me either. I was sort of expecting him to go like, uh, you know, Ole Miss on the other hand, like I think he 
would light it up under Lane Kiffin's offense. I was, you know, it was like, well, you missed by one state. Uh, Last question that I have. Uh, last question that I have about the the coaches, and then we'll we'll get to the players. Is 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 what you just said about the other coaches also true of Antonio Pierce? He is also officially separated from the team, and no, it really is Donnie Henderson's um, defense now. Yeah, let's put it this way: Antonio Pierce is is the only coach uh, that is, that uh, is no longer here from last year's staff that actually did not resign due to the NCAA investigation. I mean, Zach Hill in contrast, had to resign because of the evidence that that investigation presented. I'm not saying there's no evidence at all against Antonio Pierce. He was a recruiting coordinator when these allegations uh, took place. I wouldn't be surprised if no of allegations, whenever it comes out, like I said, could be 2023 at this point, uh, will have uh, a, a, a lot of evidence against, against Antonio Pierce. But he um, left for for the uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders. He was courted uh, by the Kansas City Chiefs uh, a, a couple of seasons ago. So he's been somebody that uh, NFL front offices, not all of them, but some of them, definitely had uh, their eye on him uh, for you know quite a while. He was definitely, definitely a good NFL uh, player uh, back back in the day. But uh, he, he, yeah, he's he's def- he's right now with the Las Vegas Raiders. Has been oh, I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's got an NFL job. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Linebackers coach uh, worked out pretty well for him. I mean, uh, being being a SoCal guy, working at ASU in his first uh, college uh, um, gig, college coaching gig, I should say, and, and now uh, in the pros, uh, still staying on the West Coast uh, with uh, with the Raiders. I, I think it could be a great uh, linebackers coach at the NFL level. Definitely has some uh, credibility, which hmm. obviously is huge uh, in the NFL world. But yeah, he's he's uh, no, no longer the staff okay. as well. Well, I've definitely got some questions about Donnie Henderson's defense, just like I did. <laughs> like, what the heck is Glenn Thomas's offense? But I'll save that for when we get to the defense. And now sure. I, I want to talk about the quarterback situation. Yeah. Um, we saw two different quarterbacks in the uh, uh, spring game. We saw Trenton Bergay, the walk-on, uh, and we saw Paul Tyson, the transfer from uh, Alabama, who's famously uh, Bear Bryant's great-grandson. Um, <laughs> I wasn't wild about either one of these guys, uh, to be perfectly honest. It sounds like Herm Edwards wasn't really either. Uh, I think there's a few other quarterbacks in the room, you know, Finn Collins and Dalen McLemore. Uh, there's a true freshman, I think, coming in, uh, Bennett Meredith. Um, but I, boy, I, I I think if I were an Arizona State fan, I would just have to have my cr- fingers crossed that Bohannon from Baylor or um, Jones from Florida decides to pull the trigger and go to ASU. And if they do, I think that guy's like just walks into the job. Um, do you think I've, I'm seeing that correctly? Yeah, I mean, uh, just just based what I heard, you know, on the record and off the record uh, f- from the coaches. Uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, is not a far fetched. Uh, assumption to make that the ASU coaching staff would feel comfortable if Bohannon or Jones uh, would just commit to ASU and, and and get that over with, arrive to campus as, as soon as possible to acclimate uh, themselves uh, to Tempe and, and, and to the team. You know, again, uh, not to belabor the point, I just don't think you were going to see anything but a very vanilla offense in the spring game, but I'm really just going based on the spring practices. Sure. And just the feedback that I heard from the staff, especially from the segments of the practice that were close for the media. I just didn't hear any, any glowing reviews um, on the quarterbacks. Now, look, in fairness, uh, all, of, all of them are, are learning a new system. Mm-hmm. And maybe what seems a struggle in April won't be a struggle in August when, when fall camp starts. But I can also understand the ASU coaching staff uh, not wanting to take any chances. Um, and, and if one of the 
quarterbacks that's already here on campus ends up being the starter, so be it. But they would probably maybe prefer that they battle Jones or, or battle Bohannon and actually beat them rather than just get the job by default, so to speak, just because they weren't, they weren't able to pick up a quarterback or a good quarterback from, from the transfer portal. It, um, I, um, yeah, I would say just in general, it really is uh, right now. I mean, with the quarterbacks out on the roster, it's a, a two, uh, two-man race between, between Tyson and Borgay. But I think uh, the dark horse in this race uh, could, could be Dylan McLemore, who uh, had a very uneventful first two years in Tempe, but also had a, uh, a sold, uh, pretty uh, um, uh, significant shoulder injury. Oh. Which, uh, he seemed uh, finally healthy and, and ready to go in the spring and really looked the best uh, since, since arrived, uh, arrived on campus. So um, I'm really curious to see how that uh, quarterback race uh, develops. Obviously, it's going to be, you know, one one A one Z uh, storyline yeah. in, in in fall camp. Uh, if, you know, whether a new quarterback does or doesn't come uh, from from the portal. Um, if if Arizona State does not land a portal quarterback and they have to go with one of the guys who is currently on campus, how would you handicap the race? Who, if if they had to play a game next week, who do you think would be the starting quarterback? I think that Paul Tyson might have an advantage over the other two quarterbacks that I mentioned. Uh, it could now it could be just really adva- advantage by default, mm-hmm. just because of. Uh, you know, having having more experience and also feel, and I don't mean to harp on the physicality issue, but uh, you know, Trent Borgay is five eleven, while Paul Tyson has about five inches on him. Yeah, and I just think that uh, you can definitely make an argument that when you are consistently running in shotgun formation, that is the great equalizer for quarterbacks that uh, were not blessed with uh, great physical stature. And don't have to worry about really peering over the offensive line. But the type of offense that I am fully expecting ASU to run, I think having a more physical um, quarterback is, is really is, is really what's needed. I'm also talking about an offense that I, meant, that I mentioned earlier that's really going to heavily utilize the tight ends in the in the passing game. So when you just talk about um, a lot of routes and and delivery. Um, the, the, the ability of the ball in those routes really having a higher arc. Uh, I just feel that this is where your physical stature can definitely help you. And if you and if you don't have that physical stature, I'm not saying it's impossible to effectively execute such a style. But I just I just feel that the obstacles sure. are stacked, stacked up against you more. Um, you know, I know Paul Tyson's mobility has, has come into question, and I did mention earlier that I think this quarterback, you know, that, that does have to be mobile, but uh, maybe it's uh, just one uh, element that uh, Glenn Thomas uh, is going to learn is going to learn to live with, uh, just because Paul Tyson just may have, I think, uh, some um, better tools in his arsenal com- com- compared to the other two sure. uh, quarterbacks, just to run this very very specific uh, ASU offense. So that that would be my my guess right now, but we'll be a whole lot smarter the first 
week or two to fall count. Yeah, I know this is really premature, and, and, and <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, yeah. you know we're, we're just gonna. I mean, we're gonna have to wait for the result of the transfer portal. We're gonna have to wait sure. for the result of fall camp. Fall camp. You know, the whole point of you know looking to the transfer portals are sort of dissatisfied with with those options. So like asking you to, to handicap that raises a little uh, early. Let's talk about the running backs. Um, as you noted, uh, lost Rashad White, uh, who really had a tremendous season. Uh, also lost uh, Chip Trainum, uh, one of those 2024 stars who came in. I, I thought he, he played pretty well as uh two uh he hit hit the portal uh bringing back daniel nagata who's the other of the um uh those 2024 stars he's sort of a different kind of back he, he uh, is a little smaller um uh only two other returners that i'm seeing both of whom uh, i think are walk-ons george hart and deontay elliott um, it looks like they took a transfer portal guy from Wyoming, Xavier uh, 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 Valaday, oh. and a true freshman, uh, Tevin White, um, oh. who's a four-star. I think that's the running back room, Nagata, Valaday, and White. Um, or have I missed somebody? Um, I would say right now that uh, George Harder is a walk-on, as you said, a very, very talented walk-on, is probably ahead of uh, Tevin White in the depth chart just because oh, Tevin really? White. Yeah, that just because White is a is a true freshman, and not that it looked horrible in the spring, but you know ultimately it is your first spring practice ever mm-hmm. at the collegiate level. Uh, something you know some, something has to give. Um, I'm not saying he had huge uh, learning curve and and uh, growing pains, but uh, but but Hart just uh, just having more experience uh, was was able I think uh, to get to get more snaps than him as a third running back. But yeah, but I think uh, Ngata and Valade are, are very, um, you know, nice tandem to have. I mean, you know, are, are they one of the best tandems in the Pac-12? I mean, that's, that's really, really hard, hard to say. But uh, I just feel that uh, Ngata is somebody uh, who, if you followed ASU, you know that he really made the most um, out of each and every carry, uh, you know, that, that he got, um, you know, averaged out, you know, 5, 5.5 yards. Yeah. Uh, one of the highest, one of the highest averages um, on the team. Uh, you know, you, you look at that back in that game BYU, and you know, people that listen to my commentary about ASU are probably sick of hearing it. Uh, a because I say it a lot, but B because it's painful. Because in that game, where really nothing went right for this a, for this ASU offense uh, up there in Provo, uh, Den Elgada had eight carries for 87 yards, all of them in the third quarter. Did not get one snap or one carry, I should say, in the first or second quarter, did not get a, did not get a carry in the, in the fourth quarter. How uh, weird. So it's frustrating to see that, but at the same time, it's just a great testament uh, how, how well he can do against a BYU defense. It's a pretty, pretty darn good unit right there. So, do you uh, think- so, now, so, so now that uh, he's going to be featured in a more prominent role with the loss, losses that you mentioned is really going to help. Um, you know, Xavier Valaday, is uh, one of those guys that absolutely tore up uh, the the, uh, the G5 level or the Mountain West uh, com- conference, to be exact, uh, at, at Wyoming. Uh, somebody who just wants to prove to himself that uh, he can uh, definitely uh, make some noise at, at the at the Power Five level. Yeah, we'll uh, have to see how he does when he uh, steps up. Do you think? Um, uh, do you think that they're going to stand pat with those four guys, uh, Validay and Gata, Hart and yeah. White? Yeah. If, if you're talking about like a transfer portal addition, yeah. I would be surprised if, if running back. Uh, would be one of those additions. I'll, I'll put the caveat not only on this position, but any other position. If a name comes in the portal that you can absolutely not pass on, you know, just you know, choosing the uh, not not for need, but best available. So for, sure, sure. You know, just a day from the NFL draft, you're going to hear that. You know, until you're blue in the face. Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> I think ASU uh, would would definitely take that approach. 
with every position and running back is not excluded. If there's a name you absolutely cannot pass on, I think you take it. But I think right now the ASU uh, coaches feel comfortable with, with Ngannou and Valde really uh, bearing the load over here. With okay. Uh, let's talk about the tight ends. Uh, you, you mentioned a couple times you think they're pretty talented. I, I, uh, uh, I'm looking at the roster right now. Uh, uh, lost uh, Curtis Hodges, mm-hmm. um, uh, who had been fairly productive uh, for the Sun Devils for a long time. I think he'd been there since 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, also lost the guy who transferred in from Harvard, uh, John Stivers, who I, I sort of had high expectations for because he was actually pretty productive at the FCS level, but I, I don't think he got much play. Um, also lost uh, Ethan Long who I think was uh, converted from a quarterback um, of all things Um, uh, bringing back uh, Case Hatch um, who's sort of a a blocker sort of a a maybe more better understood as a fullback Um, and uh, and then Jalen Conyers uh, who's the other you know who's who's catching some passes he uh, transferred from um, Oklahoma a little while ago Um, uh, also bringing back Ryan Morgan and Jake Ray but I don't think I I saw them on the field much Um, they came in the 2020 class Um, it looks like they've taken four new guys um, uh, probably the most notable is Messiah Swinson, um, the transfer from Mizzou. Um, but then they've also taken three true freshmen in this class, uh, Jacob, or they're not true. One's a true freshman, Jacob Newell, and then two Jucos, um, Bryce Pierre and Justin Rule. Um, I think that's it. Have I got that all right? Yeah, yeah, you did get that right. Um, I would say that uh, Messiah Swinson, uh, if you talk about uh, spring newcomers, uh, definitely turned, uh, turned, turned a lot of heads. Um, Huge frame at, at, at six seven, and again, it goes back to my earlier point of uh, the tight ends uh, really expected to be such a big focal point of this passing game. And the, with a guy like Messiah Swinson, you can really make that happen. Uh, you know, Jalen Conyers uh, is is definitely another uh, receiver receiving tight end that that can that can really really uh, fit fit the bill over there. So when they lined up with two tight end sets, uh, those are the two guys uh, that they're on down there on the field. And uh, the, you, I, I think they definitely uh, showed, uh, you know, quite quite a bit more more than just a few flashes here and there in terms in terms of the receiving abilities. I know that anytime you got a really good receiving tight end, uh, you do question uh, their, their blocking abilities on the line of scrimmage. I don't see that being a problem. Um, I think Curtis Hodges, who really looked uh, even even a, like a more better receiver uh, receiving tight end than those two guys. Uh, was a really an un- underrated uh, blocker. So I think that uh, under the uh, guidance of, of Justin Wood, who was the tight end coach uh, last year, I think he definitely can turn both Swinson and, and Conyers into pretty good blockers. And Conyers actually did show some pretty good, pretty good blocking abilities uh, last year. Uh, you know, Jacob Noel, the um, uh, incoming freshman that's going to arrive here uh, in the summer, uh, he's a guy that uh, may be a perfect example that uh, when you're trying to rec- recruit during COVID, uh, you can miss out, uh, not, maybe not a lot of fault on your own, on, on really, really talented players that you just really can't scout in person that much or scout them at all. And Justin Wood, the tight ends coach for ASU, uh, was able to find uh, that gem of a player who actually could arrive here in the spring, but uh, decided to uh, tear it up uh, at the Oregon high school basketball level. Mm-hmm. And, th- and this, this guy was like a bonafide uh, double-double machine. I mean, yeah. I don't know what the level of uh, high school basketball is over there in Oregon, but uh, he was definitely one, definitely one of the better, better players over there. Um, there's, also, there's also the Polynesian uh, All-American Bowl that uh, took place, uh, I forget if it was January or, or February, and he was uh, one of the clear standouts over there. And um, as, um, as the story goes, uh, 
coaches from both uh, Boise State and Oregon uh, really lamented uh, the fact that uh, they were not able to uh, get, 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 get on a guy like uh, Jacob Newell uh, earlier in the process, and he's really in their backyard um, over there, and they feel like ASU uh, got uh, quite the steal in him. So overall, um, this tight ends group uh, may be the best uh, group of players uh, on offense, period. And uh, I'm definitely expecting a lot of this offense to run to run through, through this tight ends. They got the numbers. They got the quality. It, uh, it's hard for me to see this offense being productive more than people expect, let alone surprising, without the group of tight ends collectively really making their mark in 2022. Well, you've already answered my question uh, that I was going to have, um, which is, you know, I expected this to be, you know, given what uh, I know about both the Zach Hill offense that they're coming out of in the Glenn Thomas, which you've told me uh, that they're coming into, that they'd be playing a lot of two tight end sets. And so my natural question was going to be, well, who are the two? And, yeah. and you said Swinson and Conyers. So uh, that, that's good to know. If, um, if one of those is for whatever reason unavailable, uh, how do you think the depth chart looks? Do you think they'll go to one tight end sets or do you think they'll pull somebody up? And if so, who would that third guy be? Yeah, you really have flexibility with, with, with Case Hatch. I mean, yes, he, yes, he is a fullback, but uh, you know, he, that guy's an absolute ox. So, you know, lining him up, maybe not right on the line of scrimmage, but you know, somewhat in a, in, in a in a blocking tight end role, an unconventional blocking tight end role, I should say. I think uh, that's one option they they have. Uh, you know, you know, but Bryce, Bryce Pierre, the, the Juco tight end, also also has some really good size over there. So I can definitely see him uh, com, coming off the bench uh, early uh, if needed. And uh, Jacob, you know, Jacob Newell again really turned a lot of heads. Uh, you know, in, in the in the high school ranks, uh, you never know uh, how a true freshman can uh, relate to his, to his first full camp and um, how quickly he can hit the ground running. And sure. it's really a shame that he wasn't here in the yeah. spring. Even we'll have to see how that goes in, in fall camp. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's how I saw it too, is I, I would expect, you know, given the talent profile and the size that, you know, Newell would be the, the would dude number three, because yeah. to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't trust Case, Case Hatch, Hatch's hands with that much of the offense needing to go through the tight ends. Um, I really would have expected it to be Newell. It's just unfortunate he wasn't on campus in spring. So, you yeah. know, I, I guess we're just going to have to pay attention to that one in the fall. Sure. All right, let's talk about the wide receivers. Um yeah, no, th this was kind of. A sh I mean, it was it was really shocking watching the spring game um, because the the way that I I, I recorded the spring game. I, I was out of the country for a couple of weeks, so I recorded the spring game and then I uh, I watched my recording of the spring game the day after Pearsall and Gentry hopped in the transfer portal, and it was uh, absolutely surreal to be watching because the ASU spring game was the Pearsall and Gentry show. I mean, they. <laughs> they were interviewing Ricky Pearsall for what felt like 15 minutes, yeah. uh, you know, and he was cracking jokes with Yogi and, 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 and it was so bizarre to know that this guy, uh, you know, is hopping in the portal. So unfortunately uh, he's gone. Uh, Johnny Wilson, who is another one of those 2024 stars has also hopped in the portal. Um, Jordan Porter um, uh, is also out. Uh, uh, Junior Alexander um, mm -hmm. has decided to go back to Washington. Uh, a couple other guys, um, Kate Cadman, Mickey Metcalf. I, I don't, I'm not sure whether we saw them. The walk -ons, yeah. yeah, right. Um, I, I think those are the six departures. Um, and I think there's only one addition to the wide receiver room, the true freshman Javen Jacobs, who's uh looks like a low three star. Do I have all that right? 
Yeah, you, you, you know that, right? Uh, uh, Jamie Jacobs is a walk-on, but uh, comes. From oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, that's he, cool. He, it's always cool when you get a walk-on who's a who's yeah. a rated walk-on. Um, or Oregon's got a couple of those. I always feel good about that. Sure. Um, so uh, it looks like the returners are uh, LV Bunkley Shelton, who's another one of those uh, 2024 stars. He had a pretty productive year last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre Johnson. Uh, Brian Thompson, the Utah transfer, uh, both of those guys had about 150 uh, yards each, I think. Um, Elijah Badger, um, who is yet another one of those uh, 2024 stars, who who has been less productive than I would have expected him to, Mm. but he looked okay in the spring game. Mm. Um, And then uh, uh, Chad Johnson, son of uh, the famous Ochocinco, um, who I I don't believe has played for Arizona State yet, um, even though he was yet another one of those 2024 stars. um, do I have that right? Those five are the returners. Yeah, Ch- Ch- Chad Johnson uh, did uh, did play. I mean, maybe more special teams than offense, but he did play. But oh. uh, yeah, but but did not did not uh, did not register um, any any receptions to date as, as a Sun Devil. But I, but I expect that uh, to change. Uh, I don't know if he'll be a starter, but I think it'll. It definitely uh, should uh, should be in the two deep. I mean, there's six guys in the room. Hode, he, he might <laughs> need to be a starter. Like. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, wide, wide receivers, and I, I think I mentioned that earlier. But if I'm not, I apologize. Uh, that's definitely a position they're they're going to hit on the transfer portal, and I, I expect them. I expect them even before Ricky Parcell left to add two. Now mm-hmm. uh, they, they they might add three. And sure, I mean, this time of year, even though there's a lot of players in the transfer portal, May first deadline that allows you to retain the immediate eligibility uh, factor in in your transfer. Um, you have to be really careful of just uh, really getting a productive player and, and not just a warm body. So uh, your wide receiver room can look, uh, you know, closer to a basketball squad than, uh, than like a, than like a, you know, a tennis squad for a nation or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. This is, uh, I mean, six guys and one of them is a walk-on is yeah. like, it's just, there's, even if it is a tight end heavy offense, it's simply too few dudes. Um, yeah. ha- how many do you think they're looking to add through the t- transfer portal before the season begins? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I, I, I expect two, two at a minimum and with Ricky Parasol leaving, I, I, def- I definitely could see three. Um, I think the emphasis, uh, with ASU, uh, would, would just to be add size because there's really not a, a whole lot of six uh, two and and over uh, wide receivers. You should definitely got a lot of tight ends. Like I said, we're going to be part of that. Uh, you know, really to be a prominent um, element of the passing game or or well over six two. But uh, but as far as wide receivers, I think uh, they're definitely looking to get uh, to get more physical in that sense. Uh, you know, definitely when you lose a guy like Johnny Wilson with six six, uh, you you definitely want to replace that uh, with. Uh, an equivalent uh, as much as you can um, uh, wide, wide receiver with size. So I'm going to be really, really interesting to see, um, you know, who they add over there. But even if Ricky Paris, if Ricky Paris, even if he stayed at Tempe, I still think it was a group sure. that uh, definitely had some question marks. And like I said, uh, they were definitely looking uh, to hit the transfer portal in April or maybe even in May at this point, uh, to just, to, just to add some talent. So uh, it's, it's going to be crucial. I mean, again, you, you have issues at who's going to be QB1. I get that. but it's not like you have a bevy of ultra talented wide receivers just begging for a good quarterback to, to, to pass them the ball. Sure. So uh, it's really just another area that uh, has to be solved and solved effectively for Paul camp. Are there, um, are there any names in particular that we should be looking out for that you know that ASU is targeting uh, out of the transfer portal? Um, not, not really. I mean, I, I think uh, that uh, at least one addition is definitely going to come from the, from the junior college ranks. 
uh, to just to have that experience factor. And sure. I know sometimes you can say, well, if you get a, if you get a transfer portal guy that has played only one year of college football or barely played, is that better than getting a quote unquote season junior college player that played uh, two years um, at, at that level? Um, you know, that's almost like an eye beholder. What would be uh, you know more effective or not? But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I haven't heard any names. But I would be really shocked that, especially if ASU added three wide receivers, which again very well could happen. I would be shocked if one of those additions was not a junior college. Uh, yeah, that college. makes sense. Um, all right, let's talk about the offensive line. Uh, so uh, last year, let me see if I can recite who the um, the players were last year. Um, I believe left to right, what I was seeing was uh, Kellen Deesh, um at uh, left tackle. The the Texas A&M transfer, yep. uh, Ladarius Henderson at left guard, uh, Donovan West at center. I think for the first part of the season, uh, Henry Haddis, the Stanford transfer was the right guard, but then he got injured and he was replaced by Spencer Lavelle, mm-hmm. uh, at right guard. And then I think the right tackle was Ben Scott. Do I have that all right? Absolutely. Great. Um, uh, I think that the departures from those starters are, uh, Deesh, the left tackle, uh, West, the center and Haddis, the was starting um right guard i think that uh henderson the left guard lavelle the replacement right guard and ben scott the right tackle are returning do i have that right that is correct i think i was seeing in the spring game that ben scott the right tackle was moved over to play center which was a little unusual but uh he seemed to be snapping the ball effectively was i seeing that right yeah i seen that right yeah ben's Ben's kind of somebody that really from day one uh was really touted touted for his versatility he won us uh, Scott Player uh, of the year, the, the year that he redshirted. And uh, really, I just don't, I mean, you can say that he, he won the job by default because I don't think he's a really good quality center on this team to begin with. Mm. But, but I think Ben Scott is definitely one of the better offensive linemen on this team, uh, really has been for the last couple of years. So uh, I think it was definitely a, definitely a good move uh, to move him to center. And I think uh, the exchange between, between him and the quarterbacks, and especially now being being under center, which obviously something that uh, he hasn't done a whole lot as, as a center, uh, you know, snapping the ball in that manner, I think uh, went, uh, you know, pretty down well uh, during spring practice. And then the other one, I, I agree with you about that assessment of the center depth uh, because the other center that I was seeing during the spring game was uh, the, the four star from the 2021 class, Ezra Dotson Oyatade. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't think that guy's a natural center. I guess I'll put it that way. Um, I think he's sort of forced into the position. And if that was the case, I'm sort of like, boy, what does the rest of this roster look like? Do you think he's he really is the backup? No, I, I, I definitely think he thinks he's the backup. Um, although, uh, you know, they added um, a uh, player uh, just a, a couple of days ago. Uh, Joey, oh, Ramos. Joey Ramos. Yeah, yeah. from Iowa State. Yeah, yeah, but he, he, came, he came in after spring practice. Uh, you know, we talk about Ben Scott's versatility. Uh, Joe Ramos's versatility is, is even at a higher level. So who knows, who knows where, where, where he lines up? Although uh, I am hearing that uh, right guard uh, might be the position that he can, he can, uh, can contend, contend for when it comes to some starting duties. But as far as uh, Ezra or EDO, as we like to call him, um, <clears throat> yeah, such a, you know, quite an enigma because he was a heralded, heralded oh, center, yeah. uh, you know, from, from the high school ranks. And um, a lot of people and a lot of big 12 schools were kind of late. Uh, to get on him, and ASU was able to uh, secure him uh, before that. Then they felt it was a really, a really big um, uh, victory for them. And it's funny because, like, you look on the roster, and he's listed at six three two seventy. And uh, ASU is definitely not one of those schools which fudges roster numbers by any means. But mm-hmm. I swear, when we look at him, 
it's like, wow, really? He's that big? He's that tall? Um, he's really been an enigma and not and not really in a good sense. Uh, so by default, backup center. But yeah. does he end up being the number three center when the season starts? I won't be shocked. Yeah. Um, it, it's uh, uh, they also lost Tristan Miller, um, who I uh, the UNC uh, transfer who I might've penciled in for one of these, um, left, you know, one of the tackle spots, uh, boy, I got to tell you, I have a hard time solving, you know, who the, the tackles are going to be, um, because, you know, like I said, Ben Scott, who was the right tackle is now going to be the center and Kellen Deesh, who was the left tackle has departed. Um, I, I, I don't know the answer to the question of who's going to be the tackles in the spring game. I was seeing, um, Isaiah glass and, uh, the freshman or excuse me, the, the transfer from the division two, uh, Emmett Bowley. Um, yeah. I think I was seeing, uh, uh, Des Holmes, who is a transfer from, uh, a grad transfer from Penn state, um, and, and Austin Berry. Um, I gotta be honest. I, I you know, I don't think I was really seeing top level material for these tackles. And I wonder if ASU has got a better option. What, what do you think? No, I mean, from, from what I know, I think ASU uh, does, does feel pretty comfortable now that they added Joey Ramos. Um, again, I'm going to put that caveat on. If there's going to be a name in the portal in the next uh, few days that ASU feels that they can pass on, no matter what position it is, including offensive line, especially if that uh, offensive lineman is a bona fide tackle, I think I think ASU would uh, definitely go after that player, but from what I know, that they feel uh, pretty uh, good with uh, Des Holm at right tackle and uh, Isai Glass at left tackle. Emmett Bowley definitely has given Glass, uh, you know, a, a run for his money. Uh, you really have to be impressed by a guy that came from a Division II school. You usually don't see that jump uh, all the way to a Power Five program, but you know, given credit, I mean, he really looked uh, looked uh, pretty good. Um, in, in, in spring practice, and I think uh, that still might be an ongoing battle in full camp between him and Glass as far as who's going to be the starting left tackle. But from what I know uh, from my team sources, uh, they do feel comfortable with Glass slash Bowley at, at left tackle. They do feel comfortable with uh, with, with Des Holmes as a right tackle. Again, you brought Joe Joe Ramos, the uh, the uh, the Swiss knife <laughs> uh, hmm. offensive lineman. So uh, I, I think I think they feel good about what they have right now and. Again, if they're going to dip into the portal, then it's going to be a player. Uh, first, that's going to be a tackle, not an interior lineman, but second of all, just a player that has absolutely blown them away uh, in the film that they watch, that they feel that they need to bring him in. And whether they're competing with Holmes at right, whether they're competing with Glass Foley at left, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll take a chance on. But I think offensive line is going to be okay. Uh, you know, maybe not the strength of the offense, but I definitely don't think an Achilles heel either. So if you had to lay down a mark, if they were going to play a game next week, you would say it's going to be uh, Isaiah Glass, uh, Ladarius Henderson, Ben Scott, Spencer Lavelle, and Des Holmes from left to right? Lavelle is the only one that I have my my doubts on, and not that he had a bad spring, but Lavelle has uh, more heat to shake off his back, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, first of all, you got a guy that you didn't mention, Chris Martinez from San Diego State. Oh, right. Uh, you talk about, talk about like spring enigmas. Um, I don't know how that guy didn't grab that right guard position from day one and held on to it. And, I, I don't and, think that I saw him during the spring game. Was he was some? Um, I, 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 I believe he did play, and play, oh, okay. but, he, but he's pretty much regulated to the second team. Uh, you know, I don't know how much how much you follow San Diego State, but they have, they have one heck of a season. In That's true. They did under Brady Hoke of all people. Yeah, and and, and playing in <laughs> L.A. all their home games on top of that because of yeah. the stadium 
is uh, being constructed. They'll be ready in the fall. Uh, so um, he was part of a really, really good offensive line. And then starting, I think, virtually for, I think, all the games besides uh, the bowl game or maybe the bowl game in the last regular season game. So he's been offensive lineman transfer, which I, I thought to myself, like, wow, you know, I, I think ASU did really well here. And uh, he, he was never able to crack the starting lineup. I mean, he got some first-team reps here and there, but uh, I'm really surprised <clears throat> that, uh, again, that he wasn't the uh, established starter at the end of spring. And now, now you bring Jerry Ramos, who my understanding is that is going to fight for that, for, that, for that right guard position. So, uh, again, just, you know, if left tackle – is somewhat unsettled. I think right guard is really, really unsettled. And again, there's nothing against Spencer Lovell. Uh, he, he held, held up the competition in the spring, you know, good, good, good for him. But I have a feeling that that battle is not over yet. And, uh, would still be raging in one shape, uh, shape or form. Uh, in yeah, it's, I mean, I, I gotta say I, I have, you know, last year, uh, you know, for the offensive line, just to get up to five dudes, they were, they were taking two transfers, right? Deesh and Haddis. Um, mm-hmm. And this year, you know, they, they've got some holes to fill. And I mean, uh, with the exception of glass, everybody that we've talked about has been a transfer, right? Bull is a transfer from D2. Holmes is a transfer from Penn State. Ramos is a transfer from Iowa State. Martinez is a transfer from SDSU. Miller, who's departed, was a transfer from UNC. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would be remiss if I did not uh, mention Cody Shear, the transfer from Oregon, who's also departed. It's like, I I feel like there's a recruiting problem at ASU with the offensive line. Um, and it doesn't seem like it's over. In fact, it seems like it's accelerating. It seems like the transfer portal has to be the answer for the offensive line. Um, and if it doesn't work out, like, uh-oh. Like, what do you think? Do you, do you think I'm off base about that? What do you think is going on? You know, why so many transfers on the offensive line? Well, I mean, I, I just think that the, just the, the, the lack of talent um, – you know, it really, really, really dictates that. But I also feel that they just want more maturity uh, on, on the offensive line. Like, you know, I mean, look, you can argue that you always want uh, experienced players and a higher degree of physicality on, on every position on the team. But on offensive and defensive line, that goes double and triple. And, and I think it's just really just the case of uh, the coaches not being um, comfortable with, the, with all the players they have uh, right now in terms of their experience and maybe in, the, in terms, of, terms of the sheer physicality. And uh, so that, that's, that's why you're seeing the transfers that, that you are seeing. And in, just in general, not to go off on a whole tangent over here, you know, I know ASU, just because they got this incident investigation cloud hanging over them. And once the no-sub allegation is going to come out, and I know there's going to be uh, recruiting sanctions levied on them that you're going to reduce the recruiting class, that's going to enhance the point I'm just about to make right now that their signing day is going to be just meaningless this year, next year, maybe even the year after, because it's all about the transfer portal. Yeah. So they just want to go with what on paper is the more sure thing than getting a four-star guy out of the high school ranks or, or a guy that absolutely tore up uh, the, the, the Juco circuit that uh, they, they, they want to get somebody that who is an established offensive line, preferably from a power five program that just really knows how to play the position at, at, at this level. So, you know, I think there's definitely a, a strong element um, in that sense that a, that a team like ASU is going to dip to the transfer portal more often than not for all positions. But again, when it comes to the position where experience and physicality might be just a little more important than any other position group on the field, not named defensive line, 
I think that uh, what you're seeing right now with uh, quite a few transfer portal offensive linemen, uh, that is definitely going to be the norm and not the exception for years to come. Yeah. All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Um, well, you just mentioned the defensive line, so let's talk about them. Um, uh, losing um, some pretty prominent players here, uh, DJ Davidson, uh, Tyler Johnson, uh, Shannon Foreman, um, who, uh, and then an, uh, I think all three of those guys were 2017 guys and, and also losing a fourth 2017 guy, uh, Corey Stevens, although I don't think he got much play last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it for the departures, though. Have I missed anybody? Uh, no, you didn't, you didn't miss anybody. Just a uh, slight correction. And yes, I'm being a wise ass right now. Shannon Foreman is still on the team as oh. a coach, as an assistant coach. Ah, how interesting. <laughs> he got um, you. He got you. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, ASU definitely, uh, you know, they employ a bunch of old NFL hands and a bunch of very young <laughs> players. And they, boy, they're really robbing the crable uh, for, for <laughs> Shannon Foreman. Yeah. Um, uh, one player whose status I'm uncertain about, uh, we mentioned earlier, Jermaine Lillet, um, who I've always liked as a defensive lineman. I, he, I don't think he played last year. I think he was injured. Correct. Um, can you tell me what his status is? Yeah, uh, he, he had an unfortunate uh, tricep injury, mm-hmm. which I was talking to some medical professionals, and they said that it's just an injury that you just, you just don't see often in football. I mean, sure, football has like 10,000 other injuries that are much more common than that one, but that was just, just uh, really a lot of, uh, you know, bad, dumb luck for a guy that I think that if he played the 2021 season, uh, he would definitely be, uh, you know, looking forward to uh, the NFL draft uh, this this coming weekend because I think he definitely would would have his name called. I mean, maybe even a third, third day recruit, but uh, undoubtedly uh, somebody who's going to play on Sundays. Uh, but uh, he um, is not uh, quite healed from the injury that he suffered um, in, in fall camp, had surgery too. Uh, um, last summer, and he took um, some snaps, but uh, ultimately he never was uh, full contact. He should be good to go uh, in, in full camp, but uh, when you talk about you know transfer portal guys and newcomers, it's almost like you're getting one heck of a newcomer that uh, really did, that did not play last year in, in Jermaine Lolay. And uh, the reason I'm so bullish about not only the de- defensive line for uh, ASU, but also for the front seven, in general, is the return of Jermaine Lallet uh, easily one of the best defensive tackles in the conference? Well, yeah, I mean that's the thing. You know, the guys that we noted uh, departed Davidson and Johnson Foreman. They're they're all the big guys. You know, they're all the the, the two two ninety three hundred pound you know oh. tackles in the middle. Um, and Lallet is definitely one of the big guys too. Um, they're so good to know that he um, is going to be coming back. We'll, we'll cross our fingers that he's at one hundred percent. Um, also bringing back uh, Pesafea and uh, Norman Lott, who I think are, are also tackles. Those are also, you know, pretty right. big guys who, who played uh, extensively the last couple of years. Um, they took uh, th- three new faces. Um, well, they, they also, uh, th- there's a, a transfer from Maryland, Bamad uh, Miller, who I don't think I saw last year. He did, he, I... he did play last year. Yeah, he, he was a walk-on. Oh, uh, I see. Yeah, and he actually got a scholarship since then. Oh, good deal. Uh, yeah, but uh, he, he just got kind of got lost in the mix of be, being a newcomer last year. I don't, I don't believe he was there for fall camp. I think he actually arrived after fall camp. So that well, makes, it, it makes it hard to crack the lineup. But sure. he's someone who actually played uh, really well in the spring and does part 
of an unbelievable depth this defensive line has. Right? Well, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a very full room, and even even with those three losses uh, that, that you mentioned, you know, that having those, you know, that's four returners if we're we're counting Miller as well, um, and then they got three new guys, uh, uh, Nesta Jade Silvera from Miami, who was a high four star um, when he was recruited out of the 2018 class, um, and then uh, uh, two true freshmen, uh, Robbie Harrison and uh, or one true freshman Robbie Harrison and then a, a Juco Jaleel Rivera Harvey um I, I agree with you I think the depth of defensive tackle is pretty good here despite those losses um I'm not really expecting a real appreciable uh uh fall off assuming that Lole you know is at 100 percent is that what you're seeing too yeah absolutely and I, and I think that TJ Pesafea is uh, somebody who backed up uh, DJ Davidson who a player I think uh, should get drafted uh, this weekend, but uh, did play well at, at, at nose tackle. Uh, somebody who was just a, a very seasoned veteran at this point and, uh, you know, quite the asset. Now, yes, uh, uh, Silvera, the transfer from Miami, is probably going to take his spot as a starter, but uh, there's definitely not going to be a drop-off at all if um, if Asafea is actually going to be the backup at nose tackle. But, uh, yeah, just overall, uh, like I said, there's just a lot of bodies on this defensive line, and they're not just warm bodies. They really are talented players, and they're coached uh, by who I think is the best assistant coach uh, of the um, of the entire team, Robert Rodriguez, who actually came from Minnesota Vikings as as assistant defensive line coach over there, and has been absolute godsend uh, for for this defensive line ever since he arrived here a, a couple of years ago. And he's just one of those coaches that uh, even if you have a a marginal player, he can turn him into one heck of a productive Pac-12 player. Uh, but honestly, I just feel that uh, the floor for this uh, uh, unit collectively is so much higher than it was just a year or two ago. And uh, there's really, really a lot to be excited um, about this group, uh, really from from the four starters to even like the third teamers. Well, and speaking of, you know, the coaches, I, uh, we mentioned a, a little while ago that, you know, Antonio Pierce has left the team. They've been, he's been replaced by Donnie Henderson, who's uh, been in the NFL, you know, forever. Um, I am... Uh, Antonio Pierce had actually switched up the defensive system from Danny Gonzalez's uh, three down to a four down front, which I thought there were some growing pains on that one, but they certainly have enough depth, the defensive line to support, you know, four four down linemen. I am expecting that Donnie Henderson will retain that system. It it will still be, you know, four down. And so we don't have to worry about um, defensive linemen, like changing categories or anything. Do do you think I have that right? hundred percent. If it's not broken, uh, don't, don't fix it. And, those are words that Donnie Henderson has used in my interview with me and interview, I'm sure, with other people as well. Uh, the, this defense was absolutely outstanding uh, last year for, for ASU. Uh, was uh, top some categories, was top three in some other categories in the Pac-12. Uh, a, a lot, as I mentioned, a, a lot of returning uh, talent, and uh, there's uh, definitely no reason whatsoever to change the scheme. So uh, the the fourth three, the um, base um, that you saw from ASU last year is, is definitely going to be here this year. And, and let's not forget that uh, M- Marvin Lewis, who, uh, who a couple of years ago was actually a co-defensive coordinator with Antonio Pierce, is still is still on tap, still on staff as, as a defensive analyst. Mm-hmm. I mean, special assistant to the special assistant to the head coach, I think is his official title. But yeah, his, his fingerprints um, have been and will continue to be all, all over this defense, even with Donnie, with, with, with Donnie Henderson at the helm. And again, there's, there's really nothing to tinker here whatsoever. This is the strength um, of the team. They got a proven system that has worked really, really, really well for them. 
So uh, it's really going to be a carbon copy. Uh, yeah, I would obviously like to see maybe a little bit of performance uh, at, at some spots than what we saw last year. But again, when you look at the season ending stats, uh, this group was absolutely off the charts good uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a lot of categories. And again, I think there's enough returning talent and some players that didn't play last year, like Jermaine Lillet, uh on, on this year's team that can really, uh, if not maintain that really high standard, come pretty darn close to it. And then the defensive ends, I'm not seeing any departures at all. I, you know, I'm definitely seeing the two guys who, who played the most, uh, Anthony Cooper and Michael Mattis um, returning. Uh, there's also four other guys who are getting reps, uh, you know, BJ Green, Joe Moore, Trevez Moore, uh, Stanley Lambert. Um, there are a couple other guys who I don't think played, but, you know, their depth. Uh, and then added uh, two in the uh, the 2022 close, the, the, the Juco Dylan Hall. And then one of the best names I've ever seen <laughs> for a true freshman, Blazin Lona Wong. Um, wow. Uh, do I have that right? No departures from the end? Uh, no, well, actually, Tyler, Tyler Johnson, um, you know, who, who did have some injury issues, uh, is a departure at, at defensive end. Oh, he, he, um, was, he was playing yeah, end? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, he might be a, um, a fringe. Uh, I mean, he's rapper. so big. I had him, like I said, I didn't really do a lot of profile work on <laughs> ASU because Oregon didn't play him. I was just going yeah. by his weight class. Uh, you know, 285 defensive end, is a, that's a big end. Um, yeah. He, yeah, he's going to be like fringe, um, either drafted seventh round or just uh, be, being added as uh, as a free agent. And I, and, I, and I think he's somebody that actually could have a nice um, NFL career. I know his dad played in the NFL uh, years years and years ago. But, uh, yeah, you know, Travis Moore, uh, much like uh, Lole, uh, you know, didn't play or play, I should say, played three games in 2021 and then was out uh, with, with an ACL injury uh, like um, – Lole saw some snaps in the spring, very limited. Therese mm. Moore did not see any at all, but he's uh, uh, scheduled uh, to, 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 to come healthy uh, in the fall. So I, I can see him and, uh, him, him and uh, Anthony Cooper battling. Anthony Cooper is somebody who just uh, under the radar uh, has been one of, one of the best uh, the defensive ends for ASU and maybe just one of those defensive linemen that uh, the stat sheet doesn't make your eyes pop when you watch film you really can see uh, what his impact is. I mean, I know Robert Rodriguez told me in an interview that in terms of a defensive end rushing the quarterback, just like pure number of rushes, he was number one on the team. And that's just not a name that, that you expect uh, to see. And Michael Matus, a very veteran uh, defensive end coming back. I mentioned Travis Moore, uh, you know, Stanley Lambert, you know, seems like he's been there forever. Uh, somebody that in a reserve role, I, I think can, can really, really contribute. So uh, this, uh, there's definitely some uh, talent over there. I got Garrett Stansbury, uh, who was, was a freshman now uh, last year, uh, a guy that uh, as an absolute uh, freak athlete, but still had to just uh, grow, grow into his body. And he really showed uh, the leap that you want to see from freshman to sophomore year. So uh, this, this a lot, like I said, a lot of names to mention over here um, at, at defensive line. And I'm telling you guys right now, you know, if nobody, if you're a Pac-12 fan, should be surprised. If this defensive line turns in turns in some unbelievable performance in 2022. I'm not saying that those performances are going to materialize to 10-11 win season, but uh, that's a defensive line that, trust me, is going to keep a lot of offensive coordinators uh, up, up at night 
and really wreak, wreak yeah. a lot of havoc on, on I, Saturdays. I, I, you don't got to convince right. me. I, I was, I, <laughs> I, I feel like I was at ahead of a, a lot of people a couple of years ago when I was saying like, I, I thought the strength of the Arizona state was the defensive line and, mm-hmm. and, and less so the back end of the defense. And, and I, you know, I got a lot of raised eyebrows at that one and then, <laughs> you know, it turned out to be true. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I really think this is a very solid group. I mean, it's big. That's the thing, you know, that's really unusual in the pac 12s. Like you just don't see very big defensive linemen and then you get to, you and you're like oh yeah that's where all the sides went all right let's talk about the linebackers um so uh losing darian butler we knew that was going to happen uh gentry was the surprise um uh departure uh also losing another you know four star from the 2020 class jordan banks who i don't think we saw um they are bringing back both of the soleil brothers um and merlin robertson who feels like he's been there forever um and uh you know, I don't know. I, I think that Butler and Gentry are both uh, significant losses, but, you know, I, I think, you know, between the Soleils and Robertson and, you know, a couple of other guys, you know, Will Schaffer, Jake Jordendahl, I think there's plenty of depth here. Um, uh, you know, I think maybe a small step back, uh, but, you know, not a huge one. I think the linebackers are going to be fine for Arizona State. What do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I'm really curious to see how uh, two players in specific can uh, can fill the shoes uh, of Gentry successfully. Uh, Connor, Connor Sole, who's the uh, uh, younger brother of Mike linebacker Kyle, uh, Kyle Sole, uh, might might just get the first crack at that. Uh, there's also one addition, a linebacker from Mississippi State, uh, Rodney Gross, uh, who I think uh, does have uh, does have a lot of potential, and um, I didn't have the spring practice uh, that he, that he wanted to have, but uh, that guy can really make an impact uh, in, in, in fall camp. I mean, at, at worst, he's one heck of a, a reserve linebacker to have on the team. So uh, if Jeffrey was still on the team, I wouldn't worry really that much. And, I, and this is no slight to Butler whatsoever. He was an unbelievable Pac-12 linebacker. You know, the stat sheet, you look at the film. I mean, that, that, that guy was a great, great linebacker. Uh, but, but I thought that Eric Gentry could fill – his role, and even though physicality factors, it's night and day between two players, I thought he could fill well. Now that Gentry's not on the team anymore, I think that puts some pressure on the linebacker group. Uh, I'm not taking it, I'm not saying they took a huge step back, but I think there's some drop off there right now is not a dramatic drop, drop off perhaps, but nothing to uh, really dismiss either. So maybe, maybe somewhat of a question mark. There's, as I mentioned, there are much bigger question marks on the, on this team uh, than linebacker, but I still mm. think that the departure of Gentry really puts this group under the microscope now. How can they compensate for that loss? So just uh, another uh, significant storyline, prominent storyline going yeah. into full yeah, we'll have to watch that one. Like I, I you know, I, I thought that Merlin Robertson had a fantastic freshman season and I've been yeah. sort of less impressed with him ever since his freshman season. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of think that the, the, um, the four, you know, like I said, they, they shifted defensive uh, structures from Danny Gonzalez, who was, he was playing under in his first year. Um, I, the four three has not been phenomenal for him he had sort of maybe some focus issues um uh uh, and then the Soleil brothers you know i i sort of think there's you know some size i would i would like to see those guys be about you know 10 15 pounds heavier you know like i I like to see him you know hit a little harder Uh, you know i I think there was a reason why everybody was excited about eric gentry um because you know he's six six and he has the room to add like so much more to his frame um 
you know, that I, I, you know, I really do think that, you know, that, that, that was not overblown that loss like that. I, you know, even though he's a freshman, I really thought that was sure. a significant yeah. thing. I agree. Uh, let's talk about the secondary. Um, so a uh, lot of departures here. Um, it looks like I, I have a hard time figuring out who exactly the cornerbacks are. Like I said, I, I didn't wind up doing a, a ton of film study on ASU, but I believe the two starters were Jack Jones and Chase Lucas. And Correct. I believe that both of those guys have departed. Yes. Um, they got a transfer from Auburn row Torrance. Um, hmm. I, I have a hard time figuring out who the cornerbacks are going to be. So I'm just going to cheat and ask you like, who are the cornerbacks going to be uh, Hode? Yeah. Well, um, for most of spring and in the spring game, what we saw is uh, Tamarcus Davis, uh, who's, who's a veteran and really was the first uh, man um, off the bench uh, when Lucas and Jones were the starters. And there were some games that Jones uh, did not start, not always, uh, you know, football related. Mm-hmm. That, uh, Tamarcus Davis uh, was a starter and, and played very well. So he's definitely going to be the uh, premier cornerback for the Sun Devils going into 2022. Uh, Keon Markham. Uh, is a player that maybe didn't start spring as a starting corner, but definitely ended it. And uh, really, I would say... Uh, I, I want to make sure because there's twins. Correct. Thir- 13 is Keon and 12 is Kiwan. Yes. And, 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 and Kiwan, is been, Kiwan right now is a starting safety. We could talk about safeties later. Right. I'm assuming that's what you want to do. But I do. Yeah, but, uh, Keon Markin to Marcus Davis uh, right now um, are, are, the, are, are the starting uh, cornerbacks. Um, besides... Uh, the transfer from Auburn. They also uh, brought in another a, a junior college player, Tariq Luckett, who actually played for Colorado a couple of years ago before he went to Juco route. Uh, he's, he's another uh, tall corner, I believe, at 6'3". So uh, there's really a lot of size over there at uh, corner. Now, sure, I mean, you need corner skills to, to complement that size to really believe he got something special. But I just think overall, I mean, I mean if you're going to – if you're an offensive try, tries to run fade routes on ASU, uh, that's uh, probably might be asking a little, little too much from your quarterback and wide receivers because uh, just the, the, sheer, the sheer stature of this uh, cornerback group uh, is something that's really, really impressive. Some, I mean, really, overall, I mean, you just look at the roster and, and the measurements. I mean, something that you definitely even don't see in the NFL squads, let alone college ones. So uh, that, that's uh, definitely been a very uh, deliberate uh, recruiting strategy is uh, to recruit and recruit long at, at, at cornerback. And so far, you know, from the physicality perspective, I think they've done really, really well. Uh, curious to see at fall camp, especially with the newcomers that were not there in the spring, um, how much of a dent they can make in the TV. Uh, Tariq Luckett. Um, I don't see him on the current roster uh, when I pull up ASU's um, yeah. Yeah. website. What's the story there? Well, it did, I think with some of the uh, arrivals uh, that are post that are post spring arrivals, although, although he committed uh, before the spring, but uh, wasn't able to get in in time for spring practice, I think they don't list them on the roster right now. But they should be listed there, you know, late July at, at the latest. But uh, he, he actually took his official visit. I think I think it was last weekend, uh, just, just you know, reaffirming the pledge that it was already there for for weeks and weeks and weeks. But uh, yes, he, he is one. He is one of the additions at the, at, the, at cornerback. From, from we're talking about the guy from Colorado, right? Um, he, he he was a Colorado two years ago. Uh, he went to I believe uh, Frisco College, okay, uh, a, a junior college, and then and then and now he's at ASU. Yeah. Uh, Hood, you've definitely taught me something. I, the guy was not on my radar screen at all. Um, yeah. I'm glad we had this. That you you paid for the price of oh. admission right there. Yeah. Uh, by, the way, by the way, I, I think I think it's actually I think it's actually Cisco College, not uh, Frisco College. I do apologize. 
Uh, no problem. I mean, I, I will definitely get uh, <laughs> get this figured out. Um, okay. But yeah, no, he wasn't on my radar screen. Okay, good to know. Yeah. Uh, okay, the safeties then. A um, uh, lot of departures here. Uh, DeAndre Pierce, uh, Evan Fields, uh, Tommy Hill, um, uh, Grant Telly, um, uh, uh, a couple of the guys who I don't think I got some playing time, but a lot of uh, returners too. Uh, Kiwan Markham, uh, uh the the safety we've already mentioned um uh jordan clark um i assume will be a starter as well um i kind of have a hard time figuring out the rest of the depth chart uh and and they've taken a couple of uh uh uh, other guys uh from the portal uh curry bethley and chris edmonds um how do you peg the uh the the depth chart at safety yeah, we, when spring practice ended, uh, Kiwan Markham, along along with uh, Corey Bethley, uh, where you're starting safeties, uh, Corey Bethley is a transfer from Hawaii. Uh, even though Hawaii uh, wasn't uh, a great program in the last couple of years, um, ironically, and Bethley comes uh, from a program that was uh, coached by uh, by Todd Graham. That's right. Yeah, right. Coach who preceded uh, Herm Edwards, and Todd Graham, to his credit, uh, Definitely, definitely had some nice things uh, to say about ASU uh, to Bethley, and uh, and here he is. Um, he he arrived uh, just just before spring practice started, so he was a guy that I thought was going to be in the two deep from day one. It was a process just because he arrived here so late, but uh, he uh, he uh, finished uh, spring practice just like I, I expected as a starter. So him and Kiwan Markham are the starters. Uh, Chris Chris Edmonds is a uh, tr- a transfer from Samford. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, college uh, and uh, one of the best FCS uh, defensive backs, uh, you know, last season, uh, just, you know, one of those players that uh, makes that, uh, I would say somewhat rare jump from the FCS level all, all, all the way to the power five level, but uh, he's a six, three safety. Uh, again, just kind of goes with the theme uh, with, with the cornerbacks that I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, just uh, adding a lot of size uh, to, to the defensive back group. Uh, he's, he's on the second team. I think there's a chance we might see uh, uh, Willie Hartz uh, over there with him. Willie Hartz is a is a safety. Uh, you mentioned the three three five uh, uh, scheme that uh, Danny Gonzalez had during the first two years for him Edwards. Willie Hartz absolutely thrived in that in that scheme. And when that scheme got changed, Willie Hartz was the forgotten man and then some. Yeah, I know. I I was just looking at my tally sheet. It was sort of like, yeah, he he totally disappears. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so he's, uh, you know, he's somebody that uh, I think had a pretty, pretty solid spring. Wouldn't be surprised to see him in the two deep. Uh, you know, RJ Reagan uh, is a is a player who saw some time at safety, but uh, was uh, injured before spring practice started and wasn't able to practice at all. You mentioned Jordan Clark. Uh, Jordan Clark is almost is almost a player without a position. I mean, that, mm. that's the best way I can describe. I mean, probably the starting nickelback. So maybe the statement I made isn't one hundred percent correct, but um, I don't know if he's in the two deep at cornerback. He's definitely not in the two deep at safety. So uh, really cornerback, I think, is just the position that he's really, really pigeonholed into unless, you know, personnel matters are, are going to dictate otherwise. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a safety group that I feel uh, with Bethley and Edmonds uh, as transfers really just overnight made that safety group a, a pretty pretty formidable unit. Uh, I, I said that coming, in, coming into uh, – uh, spring practice, uh, when you look at the defense, that definitely was the number one group safety that had question marks up and bottom. You didn't even know who the two deep, two, two deep uh, was going to be, but you also expected Edmonds and Bethley to really change that perception in a hurry and in a, in a positive manner. And I think they absolutely did that again because they got 
got the Tempe uh, right before spring practice started. Uh, took a little, little time than expected, but uh, they are two players that I think, if you're an ASU fan, make, makes you feel better about the secondary going into 2022 and feeling that the drop-off from 2021 is not going to be that great at all. All right, Hode. Well, now's the time that we help out uh, our degenerate gamblers here. Uh, <laughs> would you mind walking us through the ASU schedule and maybe how many wins you think this team's wow. got in them? Gun to your head. Gun to your head. I, th- I think it'd be the first ones that actually going to make, make me make a, a season prediction. This <laughs> oh, that's good. This is good yeah. stuff, then. Yeah, pure. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, I'll, let, me, let me pull the schedule so I'll, I'll look, look at what you guys are looking at. Yeah, no worries. Okay. Um, okay, I'm ready. Shoot. Okay, let's see it. So, starting off, uh, we got Northern Arizona. You can't you can't count them out, as the Wildcats found out. Yeah. I don't know if you heard about that one. But, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, we, we heard about it in Turkey. Don't worry. <laughs> and then um not it, it's NOSU. It's not it's not the Buckeyes. It's not no. the Beavers. It's no. Oklahoma State in Stillwater. Damn. And they were two last year. I mean, yeah. that was a good team. That was a good team. It was yeah. a surprising Big 12, honestly, even though oh, yeah. two of them were, were about to ditch. But yeah. yeah. Uh Eastern Michigan in Tempe. And then um uh Utah comes down to Arizona to take you on. That's always a fierce Ma- one. Major revenge game for ASU because that is that is one game that's going to stick in the craw of this program and this fan base for a long, long time. I mean, I get I, you. Well, I mean, we, halftime in that game was kind of the turning point of ASU oh, yeah. season last year. You know, oh, like no, no doubt. everything was going pretty well, and and then halftime, and then it was like, uh oh, <laughs> ASU had them on the ropes at halftime, twenty-one to seven. And, and and honestly, I don't think I don't think ASU at least on offense even played lights out in the first half. And he's still, you know, twenty-one-seven at halftime. Yeah, that was that. That's something like I said. It's it's going to be a painful memory for that program for a long time. I get you. Well, we know there's a lot of hate between those two teams oh, yeah. too. <laughs> oh yeah. And then uh, at USC, week after that, uh, that that'll be nuts. Uh, you know, first first crack at Lincoln Riley. Yeah. yeah. Versus Washington. Uh, that that'll be fun at Stanford mm-hmm. at Colorado. No one wants to go down to Boulder. That's always a tough one. Mm-hmm. Then we got versus UCLA at Washington state craziness in that one versus Oregon state. And then of course we're going to end it on the territorial cup maybe make this what would this be six years in a row of beating arizona or something like that uh yeah they'd be in five days in a row so yeah it would be six if, if they uh, did so yep. oh boy well looking at that schedule with all we've talked about how many w's do you think you got just because the situation at qb1 you know i think you just have to be really careful to to pick anything over over six wins because i i feel that the pac-12 as a whole and the pac-12 south you know in particular doesn't maybe have like one juggernaut that is like okay you know it's it's a loss before it happens and don't get me wrong i mean utah is still plenty talented but you know you you you, you get utah and Tempe, so you know who knows uh you know, even, even the two road games they have in a row, you know, at Stanford and at Colorado, I mean, it's always tough when you, when you have those two roadies back-to-back, but 
honestly, I mean, if you if you had to pick two roadies to have back to back, I was gonna say the exact same thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, would, would you would you really like you know not put Stanford and Colorado in the conversation? I mean, those teams are not uh, you know high stepping into twenty twenty two after what we saw last yeah. year. And you'll be able to hear a conversation if it's being had on the farm because there's yeah. not a whole lot of noise. There's, I mean, that is, you know, everybody talked to me about the wine and cheese tailgating, and I thought, okay, <laughs> you know, you're just being stereotypical. When you walk the tailgating scene there on the farm, <laughs> and it is actual wine and cheese. No, it, they're not too. joking. They, they're yeah, eating wine and cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is wine and there is cheese to be consumed before a Stanford football game. That is that is no hyperbolic statement, not at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that they could possibly muster six and six, and that's assuming that the defense really backs up the lofty expectations I have for them, and that despite question marks that may not be solved in September, October, or November with the passing game, that maybe the running game can be just good enough, you know, to steal a game or two that maybe they have no business stealing. Don't forget that uh, Brian Billick is an offensive analyst uh, for the Sun Devils. And if you remember the Baltimore Ravens team uh, that he was the head coach of, they were not known for shock and awe passing game. Unbelievable defense, stout running game. And that's it. That was the book on the Baltimore Ravens when, when, when they won the Super Bowl that year under Billick. So I think Billick knows uh, something about uh, doing more with less. And honestly, with the state of the offense right now, that's exactly uh, what the doctor had ordered uh, for ASU is to get somebody like Billick uh, who may just know to pull out some, you know, bells and whistles and still not have a explosive offense, but nonetheless, you know, win, win, win more games than they can lose. But, yeah, I think six and six is more or less the the realistic um, prediction for me. If you're asking what the Vegas over and under is going to look like, I would say probably um, probably four games. I would cautiously pick the over. I guess the thing that I would worry about if I were an ASU fan is that those the Utah and USC games are so early in the year. It's the first and second you know conference mm-hmm. games, and it's sort of like. I feel like those two weeks are going to determine whether or not ASU is in the race for the South or not. Absolutely. And, and if they lose those two games and effectively are out of the South contest, then it's, you know, there's seven more games on the schedule that they kind of have to slog through with, without, you know, the, the ability to win the conference. I would, I, you know, I, I started out asking you psychological questions and, and I promised that I wouldn't ask more. And here, I guess <laughs> I'm breaking that promise, but like, sure. that's what I would worry about is if the team, you know, if they lose those two games that, 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 that would sort of like start the dominoes falling and that the team would sort of, you know, maybe lose some games that would be winnable, you know, like, you know, like Washington is a game that it would otherwise be winnable. UCLA, you know, Wazoo, Oregon State, like all, there's there's games in that back half of the schedule that I think an ASU team that was really motivated and and wanted to win and could win the South would be really you know up to play. That maybe if they weren't in the contest for the South, if those Utah and USC games go the other way, like maybe they lose those games. You know, that's that's what I would be worried about. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not saying your theory is, you know, off uh, off by any means. 
I just don't see ASU being the contestant for the South. I mean, I'm just being yeah. as honest as possible. And I, and I don't think that's even a, a, that, a larger statement to begin with. Uh, to me, it's more like really just determining, okay, is the is season going to be kind of, you know, gone, gone to hell, you know, you know, wait, you know, by, by Columbus Day weekend, or, or is it going to be maybe some kind of shred of hope? Like, hey, you know what? I mean, maybe this team is not going to contend for the South, but you know, not, not, now you can talk about maybe winning seven games and not six. I think that's what that stretch with, uh, with, 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 uh, with Utah and USC, uh, you know, will determine, you know, getting, getting Utah early. Yes. I think probably, Maybe hurt it hurts ASU more than hurts Utah with all the talent that they that they have coming back. Uh, but maybe catching USC early, uh, just for the first year head coach and uh, really doing a whole bunch of things a whole lot different from last year. Maybe that can somewhat help mm-hmm. um, ASU. But but the game is on the road uh, in, 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 in the LA Coliseum, so that that doesn't make it easy. I mean, I wouldn't be floored if ASU was able to split those pair of games. But even if they did so, um, I, you, you won't find me, for example, saying, "Oh, oh, wow! Now ASU is a contender for the South." I really, I really wouldn't have to. I really would would not say that at all. And a split of those two games would be tremendous, especially uh, with the personnel that ASU has right now. Well, contender for one of the guests on this, uh, one of the best guests on this Quack Twelve podcast. You, you got to go with Ho Rubino. Uh, once again, at Devil's Digest is where you can find his work. Uh, Hode, it's wonderful talking to you. And, uh, you know, I know we're deep in the off season, but are, are you working on anything right now, following the Sun Devils, taking a little time off, I'm sure, maybe? No, no, no. There's, a, there's a, really, really no time off at all, as you guys mm-hmm. know. But uh, what, what I do this time of year is what I call uh, the spring, spring snapshots, where I just uh, kind of go around uh, all, all the teams on, a, on ASU schedule, uh, I guess not Eastern Michigan and Northern Arizona, full disclosure, and just uh, talk, talk to their insiders and see how they feel about their respective teams uh, coming, you know, coming out of spring practice, just to give ASU, uh, you know, a little early taste that, okay, this is what we can expect or not expect uh, from all the opponents on, on, on ASU schedule. So that, you know, that's, that's what keeps you busy uh, these days. Uh, you know, obviously an NFL draft, uh, you know, coming up uh, this weekend, so we're mm-hmm. going to have, you know, coverage of that, of all the players uh, that, that got selected. Uh, really could be, if not a record year for ASU, uh, pretty close to it in terms of the numbers, that number of players drafted, even though I think uh, they're all going to be in, in the second and third day and maybe even heavy emphasis on the third day being selected. So that's another thing that's on uh, the docket. And uh, recruiting, uh, you know, obviously it's a time of year where coaches are out and about uh, evaluating players uh, and recruiting Definitely includes transfer portal. Uh, you know, we'll see uh, what what ASU does at quarterback. Uh, it's, it's definitely a position that's uh, been I've been asked about. Uh, you know, every you know every day, mm-hmm. ten times a day, about, about from ASU fans. So that's uh, definitely going to be another another topic. Which quarterback ASU is going to add, and and just in general, uh, what kind of transfer portal additions are going to be arriving in Tempe in the weeks and months to come. So uh, definitely uh, a lot to, lot lot to cover. Basketball too. Uh, I think the team is uh, right. team is shaping up uh, really really well, and uh, now with the recent departure of Jay Heath, uh, the guard, um, I think ASU is going to be in the market uh, for a for a point guard. So that's uh, another recruiting front uh, that I'll be following in the weeks to come. 
Well, then, it, it sounds like you know how uh, how grateful we are to have a knowledgeable, good guest on here who's willing to talk to us at length about their team. <laughs> uh, nice talking to you again, Hode. And uh, Hithliday, as always, thanks for hopping on the podcast. Uh, you can check out Hithliday's work on Twitter, at Hithliday1, H-Y-T-H-L-O-D-A-Y number one, or at the website, Addicted to Quack. Uh, wonderful talking to both of you. Uh, we'll have a, a new preview coming out next week. Go Ducks, go Sun Devils, go Pac-12, uh, go all of them.